passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Rewind a Dynamite is here. I am John Pollock along with Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. You and I look like a pair of billboards. Um, I mean, come on. What good is a clothing if not to advertise the Yeah, we're, uh, we're about <laughs> a brand. As, as subtle as a WWE ad. Uh, but here we are. It is Wednesday night. We are live. Welcome everybody that is joining us, whether it be here on YouTube or wherever you are catching this show. Yeah, as always. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Uh, a lot of stuff already done today. Oh, three different shows up on the website, um, and uh, a fourth one right now. Is that how many we have out? Wow. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let, let's quickly give a plug because uh, a lot of positivity for W H Park's big surprise that he had for everyone on Tuesday, dropping the long and winding Royal Road with Kenny Powers himself tonight, Eddie Kingston. Yes. What a big surprise. Did you know? Uh, I, I tuned in. I said, I wonder, I wonder who's going to be filling in for us. And little did we know that Eddie Kingston joining WH Park to talk about the June 12th, 1998 match involving Toshiaki Kawada and Kenta Kobashi. Uh, those that, uh, you know, we have received a ton of positive feedback uh, for the show. Just uh, two, two experts on this scene uh, chatting about this era of professional wrestling. So I definitely encourage people uh, to watch the match first and then uh, listen to the podcast with Eddie Kingston and WH Park. It's gotten rave reviews. It was lovely being able to hear, you know, Eddie Kingston speak at length about something he loves so much. You know, if you follow his Twitter, he's tweeting all the time about all Japan pro wrestling from the nineties and just being able to hear him talk about a match in depth and at length. Um, really kind of gives you an insight into, you know, what, what influences him as a professional wrestler. So uh, I, I, I thought the two of them did a great job. Yes. So uh, then out today, we've got a brand new Shot in the Dark from John Ceno, as well as the Up Next crew going over Tuesday's episode that saw the dog-faced gremlin behind bars. Mm-hmm. A kennel. This has to lead to Scott Steiner. Can it not? Is that the only? I, is it- I would think so. Well, I mean, Braun Breaker is going to need some help. What are you suggesting, Scott Steiner wrestling? I don't want to see him wrestle. Show up, cut some promos, maybe uh, be, be Braun's uh, muscle, destroy this Joe Gacy fella. Um, I, any any involvement of the Steiners, um, I'm I'm all for. Yes. All right. Uh, so there you go. Those are all uh, the latest shows and. John Cena, busy man, also joining Wei Ting today on the Post Daily News Show. So uh, you can always double catch, shot up, of Cino. catch up on your news. We are live every weekday, 1 Eastern. I will be live on Thursday. Uh, Wei gets uh, tomorrow off as I will be joined by uh, Garrett Gonzalez from uh, Fight, Fight Game Media and the Wrestling Observer website. We will be chatting about uh, all the news that is going on. So I will be live Thursday at 1 Eastern. New MCU later dropping on Thursday night with Wei and WH Park. And then Friday, we've got another new show, Rewind to SmackDown with Way and Kate. And then this weekend, last thing we'll get out there, is the UFC 273 post show, Saturday night live, right after the card with Eric Marcotte and Phil Chertok. And as well, this weekend, we'll have a post-wrestling cafe bonus show uh, from yours truly going over the New Japan Hyper Battle card that has six title matches, including Zack Sabre Jr. challenging Kazuchika Okada, which should be uh, an excellent main event. And it's, it's a pretty loaded show, and I'm kind of curious to see um, if, if this New Japan show gets a lot of attention. Yeah, I, I am too. 
Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying it will. We will. You find know, what? Out. like honestly, on the list of like things that people are talking about coming off of um, uh, WrestleMania weekend, I, I, I'm, I'm not hearing that much for New Japan. There is probably some kind of um, uh, of a hangover effect for, from last weekend. But New Japan, I mean, especially towards the end of the New Japan Cup, you did see uh, their attendance is in- increasing. They can uh, their capacity restrictions are somewhat easing as well. So. Uh, we will see. It's a it's a good test to see this this Saturday what kind of uh, reception they receive to that card. All right, all of uh, all of those shows can be found at postwrestling.com. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and we have a few news items to go into before our dynamite review. And obviously, a major story today uh, was WWE releasing Zachary Green, aka Nash Carter of MSK, and to just go back to. Um, A series of allegations have come out against Green uh, beginning last Monday when his wife, uh, performer Kimberly, had posted about um, about abuse um, that she had had suffered. And this, uh, again, was a week ago Monday. So this started around March 28th, stating that she had been hiding abuse for too long, stating that she had been abandoned and later said she had been going through emotional, mental abuse since October to the point where I, I have almost taken my life. Then over the weekend, um, she was tweeting in support of um, of Nash Carter, Zachary Green, after they, they won the tag titles. And I guess people were uh, assuming that things were better or maybe not even making assumptions, not really sure what to make of the situations after the earlier allegations. And then on Monday, she posted a photo of her injured face stating, this is my face after your tag champion and and tagging uh, WWE uh, got wasted and hit me so hard he split my lip open. He told me I'm a wrestler, so I'm always marked up. I've hid this for a year and even forgave him, but I can't hide it anymore. That was Monday. And then on Tuesday, posted a photo of Green where his mustache was shaved in the, the style of Adolf Hitler, where it appears that he was making a Nazi salute. So all of that coupled... Um, Again, that came out Tuesday. Uh, Nash Carter, they did, they did have them win the tag titles on Saturday at Stand and Deliver and were on the program last night where they did a backstage promo and set up a match for next week. So, again, I have, uh, I have reached out to WWE for a, a statement on the matter. Um, you know, I, you know, Sean Ross Sapp had the news out that he had been let go. I heard the same thing, and we don't know the reasoning. Like, what was... Was it a combination of these things? Was it one? Was it the other? Because, uh, again, it was not like they just stopped using him when these allegations were first made. Um, but that remains a question. And we have not heard Zachary Green speak on the matter either. So, I mean, maybe he will respond to this publicly, maybe not. Um, David Bixenspan also pointing out that Zachary Green filed a divorce petition last Wednesday uh, against her. And um, so that is where the situation is there. Obviously, these things are very messy when they are played out online. And I think it's always um, you always have to, like, tread carefully in here when it's a uh, personal issue. But obviously, serious allegations here in terms of the the physical abuse. But um, we don't know what the exact deciding factor was um, that led to today's release. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, hard to comment on. Yeah, you know, uh, topics like this in general, but uh, especially as far as like what what the truth is. I mean, that to me is for a court to decide. Um, but at least in the court of public opinion, um, it if you're the WWE and you see this much hot water surrounding a talent, so much visual evidence now that's out there on the Internet, um, and you look at the stature of somebody like uh, a Nash Carter, I... I can understand why they would let him go. Um, but, you know, um, you know, we, we await to see the further results. I mean, there are people that are defending him. Um, people that are in support of, of course, Kimberly as well. So we'll have to see. Yeah. And he can opt to, you know, speak out and defend himself as well. Um, it's, it's a messy situation, but one that I, I just think it's, it's not, something worth um, trying to speculate on what led to what decision, because um, it's, it's purely guesswork of like what the timeline here was for the company that ultimately what led them to arrive at this decision with what was in front of them. Uh, another story that, um, you know, s- similar, you know, very, um, 
depressing news here uh, comes by the way of TMZ Sports, who reported today uh, that Tammy Sitch was allegedly uh, she allegedly caused a car crash uh, back on March 25th, and it resulted in the death of a 75 year old man. Uh, the Ormond Beach Police Department. Um, they put a, uh, a traffic report out and TMZ Sports or a crash report and TMZ Sports received the report. And allegedly, uh, Sitch was driving a 2012 Mercedes when she crashed into the rear of a car and it sent that car into another vehicle because this was at a stoplight. Uh, there were two eyewitnesses that stated that Sitch had been driving at a high rate of speed and the... The cops uh, believed that Sitch was under the influence of alcohol and a blood sample was taken, though the results are still uh, they have not come back yet. And if you know, depending on what the results are, these could be uh, criminal charges that are levied against Tammy Sitch. And, you know, this has been sadly one story after another. And just the uh, the stats here that she has been arrested at least six times for driving while intoxicated. Uh, including back in 2019 in New Jersey, as the uh, report states here. Uh, this is someone that has had uh, just um, so many uh, problems uh, with, with with alcohol, and it's just, uh, I don't know, it's sadly uh, just getting worse and worse, and one that, I mean, she should not be driving. I mean, that's first and foremost when you have this level of you know, DWI offenses against you. I don't see how she even has a license. I don't see how anybody could be allowed to be put behind the wheel with that many infractions. Uh, and unfortunately, somebody had to pay the, the biggest price for it. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's one where like this is a disease that this woman is dealing with, but it's you are putting your keys into an ignition, and that is still a, an action that you are taking. And I just, I, I don't, I don't understand this and it just seems to get worse and worse. And we will see what the, uh, the results here are of the tests. All of our latest news. Uh, we'll get into more on, on Thursday's news show. Uh, you can find up at uh, postwrestling.com, uh, including uh, a story I wrote about today where I was kind of curious what the average age was of the WrestleMania card this year. And this took me down a rabbit hole way of uh, way too much math that I could handle. So if you want to check that out, I ended up comparing it with uh, other WrestleManias and then looking at the, this was like the age game of every WrestleMania main eventer and how old they were on the day they headlined WrestleMania. So some interesting stuff the, one major takeaway is the amount of turnover from last year's WrestleMania card of not just, you know, there's always going to be talent that are uh, not around the next year, but the amount of talent that were in major or at least semi-major sh- matches last year. Like you're talking about Daniel Bryan in the main event, Morrison in the biggest push celebrity match. You had uh, Cesaro, who was programmed with Rollins to be a title challenger coming out of that show. And it's a much longer list than that of just uh, year to year of, of the turnover uh, from one WrestleMania to the next. So some interesting things. If you want to check that out, that is up at postwrestling.com. What was the average? The average, I would have to pull up the uh, the exact number. What what do you think it is? I, well, I I pull. I up have the, uh, it actually. Okay, well, it is at least for night one, thirty six point eight is the average age of all the participants, and very similar for night two with thirty seven point four. You noted thirty six without Vince McMahon, so the overall average thirty seven point two. Is that higher or lower than you would assume? That is lower but that's also because i'm 38 now so i'm already above this average which wrestlemania is officially younger than you i I will say one like i just like i was curious just for comparison's sake and i looked at like the revolution card and what's interesting about that like wwe they're very low on under 30 performers that are in major push roles like i I think for wrestlemania this year you have uh lib morgan Omos, Rhea Ripley, and Dominic Mysterio. Those are your four performers under the age of 30. uh, And and Logan Paul, who I don't think you would uh, consider. But uh, AEW, yes, they have many more performers under the age of 30 that you would be considering pushed roles. They also have like quite a number of performers over the age of 40. So mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. Like they have quite a wide range, and then of course they they have like a core in the in the thirties. But it's like plentiful in in both directions. Like going as high as Sting, who is certainly doing a whole lot more than Vince McMahon or a Steve Austin. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that says a lot about perhaps the current nature of professional wrestling, where it takes a, a certain amount of years for years for people to work up through that system to gain a, a relationship with the audience to to the point where they might be perceived as a main eventer. Um, it, it, it a lot of them are getting a bit later starts and maybe having longer careers as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it kind of I started to think about it because of the the tryouts last week and of like the fifty three people they were there. For, first of all. All but eight of them are have sports backgrounds in college, and the others, it's like MMA and CrossFit, and nobody under the age of 25. So you really get a sense of what they are going for and, you know, should be aiming young, but they're also aiming for, you know, that certain background. And you're going to get maturity. maturity as well comes into it and you are going to have some exceptions of like like a roxy for instance that they will go to the end i don't think it's a closed door on the independence but it certainly is a more narrow I, i think it's a lot harder to get into wwe today than two years ago very much so all right we go to boston massachusetts what did you think of this crowd at the aganis arena where they uh claimed a sellout off the top here they were outstanding Fantastic from beginning of the show to the very end. Hot, I would say, for pretty much everything. Um, but um, I think uh, certainly one of the best uh, AEW Dynamite crowds we've heard. This crowd sounded outstanding. If I didn't get my point across, I thought this was outside of that. I know you didn't see the uh, the UFC card in London. That probably has clinched crowd of the year. This was probably number two. This was an amazing crowd for the entirety of this show. Agreed. So Adam Cole and Christian Cage starts off the show. Again, the crowd is red hot and for, for Cole and Christian. So Cole spits at Cage early on. We go through picture in picture. Christian is just uh, working tremendously well here with, with Cole. There's a pendulum out of the corner into a tornado DDT. Cole is begging off. He stops the kill switch. Cage goes to the top, missing a splash. And the knee gets kicked out by Cole. And he goes for the boom and did not lower his knee pad. And Cage comes off the turnbuckle into a super kick for a near fall. As Cole sets up for the Panama Sunrise, it's stopped with a Frankensteiner from Christian. Super kick to the knee, stops a spear, and then another uh, Panama Sunrise gets countered. We see him duck the boom. He rolls up uh, Christian for a two count. And then finally, Christian lands a spear for another near fall, bringing the crowd to their feet for a standing ovation. The kill switch. Cole gets his leg on the bottom rope. Thumb to the eye. The boom. And Cole wins in 14.55. A very, very strong opener. Very strong. Yeah. You know, when you get Christian matches, I think you you kind of have different expectations for an AEW-level match. Yeah, it's it's not the sort of barn burner, like, you know, Young Buck-style match. But instead, something that's, I think, a lot more um, refined and maybe well-paced, you know. And always something that you know will set this crowd on fire. And, I mean, this crowd probably didn't take a, need a whole lot to be set on fire. But, like, they were standing for this match by the end. It, it, it was a really good opener. I, th- I thought this was great. like second best match on the show. I thought it was uh, v- very, very strong. Fish and uh, Kyle O'Reilly come out and they attack Christian Cage, which lead Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus to get involved. Huge pop for them coming out. And Cole is just staying away from all of this. When Hangman Page comes out to his music, he's got his belt back. And Adam Cole will not fight him until he puts the title on the line. So instead, Page gets into his face, swats him, and says he will give him his match for the live Rampage next Friday in Garland, Texas, in a Texas death match. You have a week. I'd get my affairs in order. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I noticed the real effort on this episode to, I think, make Rampage a bit more of a priority for AEW. Um, coming off of, I would say, you know, several weeks where Rampage just kind of feels a bit more like, hey, it's there. Watch it if you're used to watching it. Um, these few weeks, it feels like we're at least, you know, getting some some big names and, and big matches. And, That's and what the show needed. That like the, It needed this kind of shot in the arm because Rampage was, was falling into this, you know, I don't want to say skippable category, but I, I think it's it's greatly lessened in importance these over the past month. And the ratings have reflected that. They have had, you know, some basketball competition, but nonetheless, these are three very low numbers by Rampage standards that they're coming off of. And it's good to see them reacting to it. They're not just, you know... Uh, just standing with a pat hand they are loading up like i i would i think everyone assumed that this was going to be battle of the belts and this felt like a you know really beefing up rampage this is not a match you would have expected on on rampage and that kind of tells you the tale of where people see that show slaughtered Mm -hmm. 
So we continue on, and after setting that up, they recap Jay Lethal's uh, turn at Supercard of Honor with Jonathan Gresham and Sanjay Dutt uh, involved, and then Samoa Joe's arrival at the end of the show. And that takes us to Samoa Joe's in-ring debut for AEW. So no promotion for Supercard of Honor ahead of the show, but afterwards, I mean, they those showed replay, footage. Those replay buys, go, go buy the replay. Well, I mean, I, I think to me this kind of purely points to perhaps the conflict between, you know, running Supercard at the same time of Rampage as being probably a major obstacle and then being able to promote the show. But you see this episode and it's very clear that, you know, whatever has taken place in that ROH show is very much another AEW show full on, you know, including what happened here with Lethal and Samoa Joe, of course, and of course, FTR in, the, in, in it later on and uh, Wheeler Yuta. Yeah, that's right. Samoa Joe comes out, and this crowd, my God, did this crowd come to see Samoa Joe. It was, you could not have asked for, like, a better crowd for this guy's debut on your program. He comes out. Uh, did you notice how red this guy looked? He looked like he was uh, sunburned. Red. Mm. Okay, well, I mean, it's probably hot there. In Boston? Yeah, probably oh, sweltering okay. in that. In that building, at least. Maybe he was in Texas over the weekend. Maybe he, like, just went for, um, I don't know, like, tanning and just, like, fell asleep or something. He looked... The uh, the man is fired up. This is his AEW debut. Oh, he looked like he literally literally had been fired up here. So he comes out. His left shoulder is all wrapped up. And, again, the crowd is going incredibly, incredibly just amped for this guy. Max Caster comes out, and for his rap, he says he's going to lay him down like a sex position. He's main event max. You're just X division. He calls him injury prone and he wears that towel because he can't stop playing with himself and they beat them in the ratings when he was their champ. Mm, some good lines for Max, I thought. And Joe was great reacting to it too. He's just like listening to it, judging it as if like he was listening on his headphones to like a ba- like a like a uh, battle rap of some sort. He was giving a nod to what he thought were were, you know, uh, objectively good lines. He's showing respect. And the whole time, you just know he's just waiting for the bell to ring to destroy this man. The best part, though, was when Bowens does his the acclaimed have arrived and they synced it up with a fan in in the crowd where they put the camera on him. So his voice was going as this guy was mouthing it. And it was perfect. Ah, fans should, you know, you know how you want to like get on TV. Just um, put somebody's line on a big piece of cardboard. Just scream whole crowd is screaming joe's gonna kill you it's deafening uh he hits a kamigiri in the corner chops him in the back and then lands a elbow suicida to max caster the whole place is now chanting joe he turns his attention to bowens this allows caster to briefly get the advantage before he gets brushed off and he kills this guy with the muscle buster this audience this was like a, a six on the richter scale and wins the match in 252 qualifying for the owen hart foundation tournament Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Perfect debut for Joe. He looked mean. He looked powerful. He looked quick. And this was a crowd that treated him like the star. This was that- the type of match to do with Joe. You, you didn't have to do like 10 minutes going back and forth for, for Joe's debut. Like this was kind of, and, and I think with Max Caster, I, I don't think like it's it's rare that he loses like in this fashion. So it was a it was a really good win. And they got the best crowd imaginable. He can lose as much as he wants. He comes back with these great lines. Um, he immediately is, you know, another punchable face that you can serve up to your next big baby face. I thought he did a great job there. He did a great job taking a beating. And Joe already feels like an immediate headlining act in this company. Lethal and Dutt are backstage, and they're not going to ruin Joe's moment like they ruined his, and or as Joe ruined his. Lethal says that on Friday... The two of them, they changed their outlook, and he's going to do whatever he wants. For four months, I tried to call you, Joe, looking for advice. You never answered your phone. Well, you're here. You obviously have a phone, but you only answer when billionaires call. You're really the Samoan gold digger. And next week, we're going to give you a present that you will never forget in New Orleans. Hmm. You know, Jay Lethal, since he's returned to, or at least since he's debuted in AEW, I would say has been a pretty aimless um personality 
you know, he's just kind of coming here, hasn't really had much to sink his teeth into as far as story goes. Not only did he have, uh, I think, a pretty solid build to this heel turn that made a whole lot of sense on Saturday, but now establishing his prior connection to Samoa Joe, uh, referencing the time that he was in ROH with him being his protege, and using that as your source material, bring Sanjay Dutt, you know, a man who shared TNA time with both of them along the way and is what seems like the real-life best friend of, of Jay Lethal. Um, I, I love this. In a short amount of time, they kind of told you exactly the reasons why they're pissed at him and gave you a whole lot of backstory. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, the turn for Lethal, it's like put him right back on, on track in the, in the course of a week, just where we were last week after the loss to Moxley and then Friday. So, you know, he, he definitely has... You know, something to sink his teeth into now. I like Sanjay a lot on the mic. You know, he hasn't missed a beat. It's been a while since I've heard him. And but and he's you know, got and he's got a he's got it like if he serves as like the manager, he's got the weapon. He had the the pencil. Oh, okay. You yeah. have a guy with a pencil. Or you tribute mean, to uh, like Ed Farhat or something. Oh, okay. Or you mean he'll write him uh, to lose? Yeah, he'll I mean him to lose on AEW programming. Like in this world, is Sanjay Dutt a producer backstage, or is he just oh. this guy? I would assume so. I think they referenced the the fact that he was. You know, like, isn't this a conflict of interest? Well, what does a producer mean in the context of a pro wrestling kayfabe pro wrestling match? You it's, know? it's kind of hard to uh, define in in like k- the kayfabe world. Like he this puts he tell he informs the participants that they're about to have a match, and they, <laughs> I, 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 who knows? He, I'm, I'm that, here for the pull aparts, and this company is not shy about having them. So I'm sure. there. I am needed in almost every segment. <laughs> Way too many. Uh, but they might have to go ahead and explain exactly what his role is. But if they just strictly made him a manager, I think that might be the simplest route. It elevates Jay Lethal as, as a threat because you have a two-on-one advantage in most cases now. And uh, again, they, they all share so much shared history. Shabani is with the Blackpool Combat Club, and they announced for Rampage, Danielson against Trent Beretta and John Moxley against Wheeler Yuta. And William Regal is, quote, off his nut with excitement. And he feels sorry for Trent. <laughs> Sounds weird. Well, he feels sorry for Trent. And he's been very impressed with Yuta, as has Danielson. But the hardest one to impress is Moxley. So Yuta will get that chance on Friday. And Moxley says that on Friday, the weather calls for bones breaking like thunder and raining like blood. Yeah, I was looking, trying to look this up to see if like if this was like a song lyric or like a quote for a, a movie or something. Um, because you know Cody like referenced some something from like a movie in his promo this past Monday, or like a video. Anyway, so one of those things. Anyway, so um, but it sounded awfully cool. It sounded like something that could have been from a book. Did you see any of Cody on the bump today? I did. I watched the interview. He yeah, was a, he was yeah, great. He, was, he he's very good in the, in these situations, like mm-hmm. very personable, very likable, and it's just interesting to hear kind kind of his. Like it just seems like that promo on Monday was dissected in so many different ways from from everybody about how as they always will be anytime I, Cody speaks. It's you know? what I said over the weekend. This is going to be the most deconstructed character in wrestling over the next six months. Like he will be under everything he does and where he's slotted and everything. I think he will be the most analyzed figure in in either wrestling promotion of WWE or AEW for months. Totally, absolutely. Sean Spears against Sean Dean, the man who holds the countout victory over MJF at the beginning of the year. And MJF is out for commentary where they plug Rat in the Kitchen. The, yeah, the, the show, show the biggest show on uh, yes. TNT, yes. it sounds like. They, uh, Dean tosses, gets tossed over the top rope, and this whole crowd is starting to chant Wardlow. And there's a pump handle neck breaker. He pulls Dean up at the count of two, and he's setting up for the C4 when we cut to the back and it was like doom because we're just watching from the perspective of the camera operator. And I thought they, this was what they were giving Wardlow, like where in his perspective, like his point of view as he's attacking all these people, like the it, Jeff Hardy stuff they used to do in TNA. Mm, did they do that where you were like in his head watching? Well, we were listening to him in his head. We were listening to him. Yeah. If AEW didn't have such a hang-up on why is the camera not there, I think this would be really cool, where suddenly we <laughs> go know. and Wardlow's just killing all these people. I don't think so. Oh, I thought I thought this was neat. It just feels so different from the sports-like presentation that they're trying to push. You know what? This crowd was going crazy. I don't think they were worried about a sports-like presentation. They wanted to watch uh, this guy mauling people, and that's what we got here. Spears is all freaked out as Wardlow, we cut back, he's just tossing security 
dude, these security guards deserved like double whatever their their day rate was because these these indie guys were just flying all over the place. MJF is freaking out as he comes through the curtain into the crowd, throwing more dudes in the aisle. One guy just went into another zip code and landed in a guardrail. And with all of this, Sean Spears is distracted and Sean Dean rolls him up. This was the best distraction roll up finish I've seen in years. Three minutes and 49 seconds, and Sean Dean wins again. Um, they've got something great here with this Wardlow thing. I think this thing is awesome. It's it's excellent. It's super simple, and it's incredibly effective. It, it, the crowd reacts huge for him, and Wardlow really just looks like a Superman every single time. So uh, I hope they have some good uh, indie talents in New Orleans for them to do this again. How's this guy flying to all these places? Um. Well, he's you, you. He's still getting paid by MJF. He still makes money. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. I. Oh. But I love the fact that you know they continue to use Captain Sean Dean in this scenario. You know he's going to have the match with MJF, and we'll see what the finish is. I. I. I wouldn't put it past him to have Sean Sean Dean somehow fluke his way to another victory again. Yeah. Th- this is really well done. Uh, right up mm-hmm. and like finish included here with the roll up. Shivani interviewed the best friends, and Yuta's got the pure championship, and Chuck Taylor says they love Yuta. We even bought you your tights. You can be successful with us. Trent does not like him so much. He calls him a scumbag and a traitor and tells him maybe you could take some notes on Friday and learn from the guys you're trying to turn your back on. I, I got into this, you know, like we know that uh, Yuta has been hanging out with the best friends. He comes out with them and he the, the best friends were really hurt when when Yuta wanted to join the, the Blackpool Combat Club. But we didn't know the extent of the relationship between Yuta and the best friends. This man is living on their couch. He is still living on their couch. OK, I would be pissed off if my friend that I'm offering my couch to, he's using my bathroom. He's probably in my fridge drinking my my orange juice without uh, washing the glass afterwards, and he wants to join the Blackpool Combat Club, come on, that's too much here. So I, I, I kind of sided with, uh, with Chuck and, and Trent here. Yeah, you would, you would think that there'd be no shortage of orange uh, in this house. Ah, there you go. Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti came out just, just for the sign deal, for the picture-in-picture, picture, making fun of American Top Team that they called American Flop Team. Uh, then we go earlier tonight with a brawl in the back with Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz, and the Jericho Appreciation Society that saw Eddie Kingston launch like a flat screen TV at them, and the Jericho Appreciation Society take off in a car. So we fast forward to uh, live, and Kingston comes out to the ring with Santana and Ortiz, and Kingston cuts his great promo. He cuts, he calls Jericho a two faced coward, and I'm coming for you on sight. And that was the theme of this promo on sight. Even if you're with your wife and kids, same for the others whose names he doesn't know. For Daniel Garcia, I know where you live. Santana refers to the Jericho Bitch Society, and this is what we do. You better bring the hardest fight to these dogs. And then finally, Ortiz refers to Christopher and challenges them to come see them in Louisiana next week for a six-man. And Kingston screams into the camera on his way out. Man, these three sounded great. The beatdown backstage was great. You know, I don't know what sort of All Japan uh, pro wrestling Eddie Kingston was watching for the technique of throwing that flat screen TV, but uh, it was a tremendous. This was, this was uh this was a uh, Matoko Baba when the the crew was was leaving for Noah. For Noah, just, throwing that flat screen. I don't even know if flat screen TVs were a thing then, but sure, yeah. Uh, this they sounded great. They all sounded incredibly real, which is to say, very unsports entertainment like. Uh, I thought all three came across great, including Ortiz, who, you know, as part of the uh, uh, the inner circle, um, kind of played the guy who didn't say a whole lot. But now as a part of a faction of three, maybe we'll get to hear him a bit more. All three of them sounded great. Yeah. K- Kingston was like, dude, this, this is like watching a method actor when he's coming out there. Like, mm-hmm. I bet you like there's a half hour of like a come down after something like this. Like he is you, you just watch him. You can watch him on mute and it would come across just as aggressive. Uh, they showed highlights of Hook and the uh, the curse attempt by Dan Housen, so continuing that that story at a later date. Tony brings out Jade Cargill and Mark Sterling with the baddies 
in attendance. And they cut to them. And then we go back and Jade tells the cameraman to do her job and throws to them. So again, they wave to the camera and said it was very hard. Sterling says it was hard to find good looking people in Boston, but they persisted and uh, they got these baddies. The rest of you are slobs. And Marina Shafir is not allowed in the baddie section. She is trash, and Jade is just referring to her as number 30 at this point. She is sick of these MMA losers coming into this business. They call you the problem? I thought she was the supernova from Moldova. Now she's the problem. She's the problem now, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And Jade is the problem solver. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Jade sounds fantastic. She looks like a champion, already top notch, I think, in this department. We're just, she's improving every single time we see her on TV, but we're just waiting for her in this spotlight to be able to catch up her in ring skills with her, I think, very strong promo skills already. Um, I did find it funny how, like, she she was talking about, like, Maria Shafir as some sort of outsider when. I, I, I have to think they probably started She's, in pro wrestling at pretty much the same time, if not oh, even dude, Shafir. Shafir, earlier. I think, has been doing wrestling a lot longer than, than Jade was. Yeah. Like, Jade's, so. Jade's a year in. That, that Shaq match last year was her debut. That was March. I think right. I think Marina had already been cut by WWE by that point. Mm-hmm. So. There you go. So, kind of funny, but whatever. It, 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 this story makes sense. It's good to see her having a strong appearance here on TBS. I wonder if this will be Battle of the Belts next week. Very possible. They have a number of matches that I think they can. They, they have can go a lot to. of stuff to push next week. Yeah, and now it's... you have another set of titles in the ROH belts. That's right. Yeah. Marvez interviews MJF and Spears, and MJF prays that Wardlow shows up next week where there will be twice as much security, twice as much pain, and he is challenging Sean Dean and says that uh, he thanks him for his service to this country and says that there will be no more upsets, and next week you'll have a Purple Heart. Because I'm going to injure you worse than you ever were in combat. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. He can get away with it, though. Like, at this point, he's already set the bar, like, so low that, I mean, it, he, it, you, he, he, only he can get away with it. There you go. All right. The Butcher and the Blade against the Hardys in a tables match. This was a mess. Are we all well, it was page? messy, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, Butcher and Blade uh, take a table and they unscrew the legs off of it. And the Hardys come down. The Hardys just, as you can imagine, a gigantic roar. I'm going to say this, and it's more so on Matt than Jeff. Like the Hardys to me, they are not to me in this box that they have to have the the hot topic look. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I, I think there's a wide range that Matt does not have to be in this gear in 2022. I think he can change. Like, he, I, he's done many different characters. I think, like, he can have more satisfying gear. Uh, I totally agree. And I think we've seen Hart, the Hardys run even together, you know, in, in di- many different incarnations, including, like, the Broken Hardys. But I think this is, like, a conscious effort to um, make people feel nostalgic for the Hardys look that they have in their minds so that they can set up a transformation in the future. That That's what I have to assume. That's, like, verbatim what they did in the WWE run. And I would say, mm-hmm. the same, like, to me, it's just, like, the nostalgia is they're here. They're the Hardys. They're coming out to their music. They're teaming together. And I see Matt, and it's like dad trying to like dress up as it. It feels it like he has now become where Michael Hayes was in '99 when he was dressing up like them. Oh my God! Yeah, it's the same look, honestly, like from the neck down. I think again, Matt is older than Michael Hayes was then. Oh wow! But I, again, I, I do feel like it's done for a purpose, so that you know, by the time they do update their look, it's for a particular storyline reason. So, fortunately, here I think the biggest culprit here is that. We had some miscommunication on what what the rules were of mm-hmm. this match and how you win. And we have talked about it in the past, like the tag team tables matches. It's I guess the thinking was of the performers was it's you have to go in like consecutive table breaks. But the way it was conveyed on commentary was once one person goes through, they are eliminated from the match. And that's where we got this confusion with Jeff in the middle where we all thought he was eliminated and then he comes back and he's all part of the finish. So I believe he, you, you can be eliminated, but... Um, he also didn't break. in The, the table did not break know, so on the elimination was... spot. So I would imagine this crowd was had no idea what was going on. They probably had a lot of leeway. They just wanted to see tables break. But I thought this was so confusing. And it was also a very sloppy match at points too. Yes, so it was. I, 
Um, so we, we continue on here. The, the spot that we're talking about, they've got the table where one leg is folded. So it's like going on an angle on the ring and Jeff is laid on it and they end up coming down on top of Jeff and the other t- legs just fold instead of breaking. And we go to picture and picture. And when we come back, they explain that was the elimination of Jeff and Jeff disappears at this point. Like we don't know where he is. And we're just watching a handicap match for several minutes. And the crowd is chanting delete. Uh, Matt misses an elbow off the apron crashing through a table. Um, this is after he had, uh, he had put Butcher through a uh, table with a leg drop. So, in theory, Butcher is eliminated, but is not. But you can still be involved because it's no DQ, at least is how... Then, what, then what's an elimination? Said. What does an elimination mean? Elimination means, like, you know, you, one point is off the board in your, uh, of your total two points. Okay. So he's eliminated, but you can still compete in it. So basically, you, to win the match, you have to put both opponents through a table. Now, that doesn't mean that the opponents, after getting eliminated, can't get involved in the match. Okay. Technically, anybody could have gotten involved. This is, this is way too confusing. So Butcher and the Blade try a double vertical suplex to mat off the barricade. And I was worried they were just going to slip here. But they, they managed, and they had a table set up. But when they go for the suplex, the table's gone. And that's when Jeff has returned and mo- moves the table out of the way. And th- this was like the, the best timing of this whole thing was Jim Ross saying, this is looking bowling shoe ugly. And on cue, Jeff goes off Butcher's back for a poetry in motion and just wipes out trying sliding off of his sweaty back then there's a pair of twist of fates on the floor jeff pulls out a ladder and attacks butcher with it they set up two tables on the floor jeff climbs the giant ladder for a swanton off the top putting blade through the table and the hardys win in 11 minutes and 54 seconds um these guys were, that worked hard. Uh, th- this looked incredibly painful at, at different parts, but uh, I thought this match did, did not hit in any of its intended fashion. Yeah, it was a pretty ugly match where I think a lot more could have gone wrong than it even did. But um, I think this crowd just wanted to see some satisfying table breaks, and they got that. You know, the Hardy Swanton It was bomb. a spectacular stunt that you got at the end. It's almost like they're... Th- this is more than I was expecting they would be doing, that they... I mean, these matches have to be taking a toll that they're doing them already. You know, we've seen like two pretty spectacular matches out of the Hardys so far in this comeback. Yeah, I mean, coming out of the gate, I think they want to make up for a lot of lost time that, you know, they probably didn't feel like they were able to achieve in the WWE during that run. But um, I, you know, to me, like the Hardys matches for a lot of them. You're expecting a level of sort of sloppiness, especially when it comes to something as unpredictable as a lot of these stunts. And certainly when they get older, I don't know if that necessarily will improve. Um, I definitely felt bad here. You know, I was grimacing pretty hard for a lot of Matt Hardy's spots and not even ones where she, he was uh, like going through tables. Just him just, like just, dude, the taking that drop suplex, off the top. Like that's uh, taking man. that suplex from the onto the mat there. And even him hitting the, his own twist of fate and landing, you know, that oh. hard on the floor. Like Matt, Matt is going to be they'll both be sore after this. But Matt, for sure. I mean, when when you're watching this, like it was. um yeah, yeah. This, I, I think the, the biggest thing, though, was just like what you were explaining never came out on commentary either. So it just seemed like it was a tag team tables match. And I think we were just making the rules as we go along. And it seemed like the performers I, and the announcers were just not on the same page. Yeah, the communication live I, I pr- probably could have been uh, conveyed a little, little bit better at the beginning of the match. But I'm. You know, I, I feel like we've seen this sort of table match before, but you're right. Like, if it's elimination, I kind of tend to prefer if the person just exited the arena and, and you know, you avoided that sort of, like, confusing thing. Um, but, you know, it's it's the Hardy Boys trying to reclaim that image of them from 20 years ago. And I think it calls for crazy stunt matches like this. Uh, and maybe by this point they've done it, and maybe it's time to, you know, establish the next level of what the Hardys are. And maybe that involves less stunts and more character work or more, you know, different different types of pro wrestling psychology. Yeah, or if you want to really simplify it, I know it's a tag match, but just one big table spot. Like, you're only going to remember the ending of this. No one's remembering that butcher spot with, with the leg drop. Um, but anyway, it, but, but it, it wasn't, want, it wasn't like, just know, that. 
there they were want a number of big cracks throughout the match. Well, you can do tons of table spots. You just don't do the the offensive. Like we had tons of table spots in this match, and only two of them were actual, you know, registered ones. Listen, they had an idea for a tables match which featured four different table breaks or three or four different table breaks, and one of them unfortunately didn't go very well, and the rest of it uh, probably was a bit more confusing than it needed to be. But uh, the idea itself, I, I don't think, was, was that flawed. Andrade, private party, the bunny and Jose walk out, but then Sting comes out to back up the Hardys and the crew retreat here. So continuing that story. Cage is furious, Christian Cage, as he just tosses his water bottle and walks out on Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. And Jungle Boy cuts a promo saying that Red Dragon's record isn't even good enough for them to get a title shot. So instead, they will challenge them next week on Dynamite and defend the tag titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, this is a way to get around the limitations of the ranking system. Just have the champions issue challenges instead. Nyla Rose, Vicky Guerrero, and Thunder Rosa set up the women's title match for Battle of the Belts 2. That's happening a week from Saturday, which will be taped the night before in Garland, Texas. So AEW is going back to the building that ROH just ran last Friday. So that is next week. Shivani is with Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter, who have both agreed to no physicality. They have qualified for the Owen Hart tournament, and Hayter will not shake her hand. She deserves to win and is going to show Tony no love Storm says, it has only just begun. So the idea here is they may cross paths at some point in the tournament. Yeah, it's a high-profile match, you know, for one of the tournament rounds. And then the qualifiers continued with Julia Hart, no relation, taking on Hikaru Shida. And Hart is wearing her eye patch, and she's out with the Varsity Blondes, and she kicks Sheeta from behind before the bell rings and starts choking her with her jacket. And Pillman and Garrison are aghast at this blatant disregard of the rules. So Julia says, get lost, and kicks them out. They leave. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Sheeta gets a chair, leaps off it with a drop kick. They go through the break. Uh, Sheeta is attacking her with strikes, and then... Lifts her on the shoulders. Hart rakes the eyes and hits a bulldog. Hart climbs to the top and hits her version of a a twisted bliss, but misses. And there's a diving elbow, and Sheeta hits this very awkward Tomashi, and it didn't look that good, so hit her with a falcon arrow, and that got the victory for Sheeta, beating the one-eyed Julia Hart. You know, this is, to me, what felt like the low low point of the night for the crowd. They didn't seem to react all that big for it. And I think looking at the ma- the matches on paper, like this probably had the least amount of star power attached to it. So it's understandable already from that perspective. And you're also talking about Julia Hart, who still, I think, shows uh, like a, a real lack of um, experience at times. I-, I thought she displayed some good increased aggression. But, you know, that heel intensity that makes me wonder if she's a good fit for the House of Black. I, I still don't really see it yet. And maybe she'll never join. And maybe this is just, you know, some sort of like tease that she's going bad, but not all the way. I don't know. But um, I I didn't feel like this was necessarily a, a dynamite ready match, especially considering the high level on the rest of the show. Yeah, um, it, it had its rough points, uh, including near near the end for this as well. I think it's like Julia Hart. It's, you know, like the experience fact. Are you aware of how young she is? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Lack of experience. Um but yes, Serena Deeb showed up after with a chair and Sheeta got the kendo stick and Deeb backed off. So we are building to what are we up to the fourth match? Something like that. Yeah. But this Marvette, time in the tournament, you would assume, right? Uh, yeah, I, w- I would assume that Deeb's in the tournament as well. So mm-hmm. I-, I like the idea that um, they're teasing like matches in the tournament. It's not yeah. just going to be like cold matches. Like if we get to Tony and Sheeta and to, or, sorry to Tony and Hater and then Sheeta and Deeb in there too. This tournament is looking pretty high profile on, on the women's side of things, you know, with, with a, a, the addition of Tony Storm uh, and then some actual storylines, I should say. So I'm hoping for this tournament to really kind of turn that mm-hmm. women's division around. It, it would be a good reintroduction of Ruby Riot, who's been yeah. gone, like at mm-hmm. least from Dynamite and Rampage for a while. Alex Marvez is with Swerve. They talked about him attending the Grammys over the weekend, and then he goes over what went down on Rampage with the attack, and then he has to get ready in his locker room. I don't know what he had to get ready for, but he goes into the locker room, and Hobbs and Starks run in and jump him, and the camera's still rolling on the interview way, so there was a reason to have this camera follow this attack, and it's a big brawl in the locker room. Keith Lee shows up, and it leads to Keith Lee sending Hobbs through a wall, through a wall. 
through a wall, a wall of one sheet of plywood or, or a dry drywall, I should say. Uh, yeah, I, I I like the idea, but I just I I always feel like the way, fake walls look look so obvious when it's like one thin sheet. <laughs> you know, like what locker rooms will have like just one? You, thin you sheet? want to to go through like cement? I mean, it's uh, I don't want. They don't need to go through any walls. You know. This is all to say, like, if you're, you're going to think that that hard about, like, why there's an invisible camera there, you can probably expect your audience to think about why a piece of wall is so thin that suddenly just between this, this locker room here. What if they have a, a tag team walls match where you have to put both opponents through walls? It sounds awesome. Consecutively. Yeah. So Rampage on Friday. Moxley and Yuta, Danielson Trent, Willow Nightingale. Fresh off the uh, match with Mercedes Martinez at Supercard of Honor, takes on Red Velvet, and Swerve will take on QT Marshall. And announced for Dynamite next week are Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus against Red Dragon for the tag titles, and the six-man with Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz against Jericho, Hager, and Daniel Garcia with the Texas Death Match a week from Friday on the live Rampage. Mm-hmm. They have a lot to uh, promote over the next week with uh, three shows next week. And we go to the main event Starring Bobby Cruz as our ring announcer. This was a nice touch to have him. Really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the man's been in, like, I mean, you know, there there are a few names that I feel like you attach to Ring of Honor that have been there for almost everything. And I think Bobby Cruz is one of them. Great touch. FTR against the Young Bucks for the uh, AAA and ROH Tag Team Championships. And we start off, um, Dax has his lower back uh, taped up. Probably legit from that suplex to the floor on on Friday, um, so that w- that was uh, focused upon, and we see a series of flips into drop kicks by the Bucks until Cash just cuts these guys off with clotheslines, and then we get Cash and Dax applying stereo sharpshooters onto the young Bucks, and everyone's going nuts for this. Nick is able to gouge the eyes of Cash Wheeler. I don't know how many eyes got gouged on this show, but it was a lot. Seems like everyone would be. Uh, Dressing up as Julia Hart next week after after all these these eye wearing goggles. That's hey, like, they should be taking notes from Braun Breaker from a early morning guy steal. <laughs> the Bucks come back. Uh, Matt does the Brett mannerism with the arms to the crowd for like easy heat, and then they just beat down on Cash as they go through the break. Cash is working and working to get to the corner, and he leaps for Dax, who gets super kicked off of the apron as Tony Schiavone channeling me says that oh cash uh, nick just got there in the nick of time yes what a cutoff dax finally gets in uh they go for the powerplex spot but after dax hits the superplex to to matt nick does a springboard rana to cash on the other turnbuckle which was an awesome counter there's a gory special onto Matt for a big near fall. They kind of saved the near falls for uh, for the end. This crowd's going insane. They block a big rig, and Matt kicks Cash low, which referee Nick Rick Knox, of course, misses. They hit a big rig onto Cash Wheeler and try to beat him with their own finisher, but he kicks out. More bang for your buck. Cash kicks out again. Cash is... Uh, this FTR is baby faces. Like, what a, what a tremendous like repositioning of them, but Cash Wheeler, he's just amazing in the in this role as like babyface in peril. Uh, Dax and Nick start having a tug of war over the ROH belt, and it leads to a belt shot on Cash. Goes for the cover. Dax, with all his life, dives for the save. The crowd's applauding. They double superkick Dax and then hit the BTE trigger to Cash. But if you want to go back, watch Cash's face. He looks left. He looks right. It's like... <laughs> He's like accepting like he's about to take a bullet here and takes the BTE trigger. Rick Knox goes to count three. And just before the count of three, Cash gets his foot on the bottom rope as his hand hits the mat. The bell rings. But then Knox waves it off. And this crowd is so happy that this match is going to continue for another two minutes. And this end sequence, they are going to kill them with the Meltzer driver. But Dax catches Nick in mid-flip as he hits a slingshot sit-out powerbomb. Meanwhile, Cash is up for the tombstone. He reverses it, tombstoning Matt, and FTR hits the BTE trigger after Matt spits at them, and they kiss him on the cheek, big rig, and pin him in 19 minutes and 52 seconds. What a match. Hell of a match. You know, this was, I think, the type of match that this crowd was anticipating and a match that they completely... 
mm, elevated uh, for a match that I think was already really great. You know, and you can even argue that like coming off of the Briscoes match, FTR has been made even hotter. And this you, was the biggest week of their career. I honestly believe. Like, yeah. I, like these two matches are probably like take them to to me an- another level uh, in terms of like their just overall placement. Yeah, I, I think this crowd was probably hotter after, you know, the great performance that they had on Saturday, which I'm willing to bet almost all 90% of this crowd probably ended up watching. I, I thought like FTR were almost like laying it pretty thick that they were going to turn babyface or that they were in the midst of turning babyface a, a couple weeks back. And I considered that they might be setting us up for a swerve. But man, after this week, no, they would be idiots to turn this team because they are now, I think, the biggest baby faces in the tag team division. Um, maybe even ahead of, at least seemingly tonight, Mox and Daniel Bryan here. So I, I I thought the reactions to them were unbelievable. It's a great way to establish the Ring of Honor championships on your TV show. They feel just as important now as the AEW belts. Uh, hell of a match. This was, like, to, to go back to when they first, like, like just planted the seed for for this match years and years ago to think that this match to me it's even better with like FTR in in the babyface role and you would have thought very differently i think years ago that the bucks are just such a natural babyface team for FTR who are just ingrained as these heels i think this match worked better with FTR as the baby faces and with, with the bucks, like, like building up the, this stock with, with the audience, um, with, with these characters, uh, everything clicked for me in this match. I thought this was tremendous. You know, they had the match in 2020 with, you know, it was very limited fans. And I, I think this was the match that they likely had envisioned. And I wouldn't have said at that point that, uh, you would have expected it to be so successful with, with the roles reversed, but they have something incredible with FTR. They had tremendous opponents tonight, an unbelievable crowd. Um, this, this was a excellent, excellent, excellent match. Yeah. They're great wrestlers. And I think either as baby faces or heels, you can expect high quality, you know, to me, like the, the, the biggest difference this time around is just how hot FTR has become as baby faces over the course of the past week. So we'll look to see how they build on it. So there you go. That was a dynamite. Um, it, it had its issues, but it had an incredible crowd and I would say some great wrestling. Um, I mean, how, how can you complain about the wrestling you got from that opener? And then to me, one of the one of the better television main events we're probably going to see this year would be my impression. Yeah, whatever issues there were, I would say they were relatively minor Like, and certainly didn't detract from, I think, uh, an otherwise incredibly entertaining show and with an incredibly entertaining crowd. Really, yeah. it had a dip for, like, it, like the tables match, it, it kind of just... It, it, it was sloppy, but it didn't. But it didn't kill the crowd. Like, no, it, the crowd was hot. It came down for Julia Hart and Hikaru Shida. So I would say, like that, that gap of like you know twenty minutes or so was like the down part. But man, the introduction of Joe, the angle with Wardlow, um, again Cole and Christian, and then the main event. Um, you know, it was this was a thumbs up show easily. All right, we got a bunch of super chats here to get to, and first we want to go to. Daniel Morris, who sends 78 Hong Kong dollars. Thank you so much for the support, Dan, uh, from my birthplace of Hong Kong. He says, thank you for all the great content from Hong Kong. Wonderful. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much to Fact Channel, who sends us a, a $2 super chat just to say, it was nice to see post-owned Eddie Kingston. We also go to Timu, who says, Raw hit their biggest rating since the pandemic era. You guys should be talking more about what an insane draw Veer Mahan is. Acknowledge him. Yeah, it was. Uh, this is really like the next era, the Vera era. The new tribal chief, I should say. Thank you so much for the support, Timu. And we go to Samuel, who sends a $8 Australian super chat, who says, nothing specific, just a tip, because you're awesome. Well, thank you, Samuel. Thank you so much, Samuel. We now go to feedback from form.postwrestling.com. Do you want to start us off, John? Uh, yes, let's uh, dive into it. We start things off with Bruce. I won't overstate the obvious but that about that excellent tag match, but it was great to see FTR keep running full steam ahead after that incredible supercard match. This wasn't the most impressive bell-to-bell dynamite apart from Cole Christian in the main event, but the hot crowd made Joe, Eddie, Wardlow, and Jade all feel like massive stars between those bookends. I'm interested to see how both of the Owen brackets play out, but it'd be nice to get some pre-tape spots with competitors speaking about what the tournament and Owen Hart mean to them would add some stakes to the matches and give them, give some of the mid-carders a chance to show some extra personality. Uh, 
lastly, uh, some comments from my partner who caught some of the Hardys match. These old guys must really hate those tables. And is that the same Scorpion wrestler from the 90s? He must be even older than those guys. Evidently, Sting still has brand recognition from well outside the wrestling fan base. We got a Mark who says, I was never a huge fan of FTR, but the last week has completely turned me around on them. I feel like they are coming out of this past week feeling like true top stars with genuine fan excitement and support. What a pair of perfect matches for them. Also, I really love seeing all the spotlight put on Supercard of Honor. Highlights and talent focused on and a true attempt to integrate the show as canon, unlike most of, say, NXT's existence with WWE for years. I'm excited to see where it all goes. You know, for all that talk about Monday and the Braun Breaker stuff, like, it meant nothing for that number on, on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. They got yeah. no bump off stand and deliver, nothing off of, like, break. Like, that was the most watched Raw in over a year. And NXT, no movement a- at all. So I think that was interesting. Johnny uh, writes, man, did I love this week's Dynamite. The opening match with Christian reminds me why I'm glad he's in AEW. Awesome promo from Hangman showing much more confidence than ever. Joe's debut and Lethal getting more promo time are a big plus. Julia Hart seems to be getting the Malachi eye under the eye patch now. Only negative was the Hardys match. What's the point of eliminating someone if they can still win the match for you? Now that main event was excellent. These two teams were made to be rivals. Might be... Because the commercial messing with pace for me, but I put it slightly below the Briscoes match. Overall, amazing episode. I know it's nearly two months away, but do you think we get Red Dragon FT versus FTR for the AEW tag titles at double or nothing? Well, I don't know if I would necessarily take the, any... Like To me, that would suggest that you would have FTR drop one of their sets of titles. And I kind of like the fact that they're still ROH champions, maybe even AAA champions, just so that you have two divisions now. Similar to how you have... Um, you know, on on Raw, I suppose, two sets of belts. Like, this time, it feels like actually both tag team titles might actually be over. So, you know, when you have a lot of Rampages that just happen to need a tag team title match, um, I would actually choose to keep them apart. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a possible direction you, you could go in. Um, you know, with Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, I, I would say they're they're almost at the point right now where maybe you get another team with with those belts. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, he's suggesting Red Dragon win the AEW Tag Team Championships from Jurassic Express. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, yeah, I, I can see a title change too. coming. Yeah, I am too. But, like, anyway, I, I, I would keep them separate for the time being personally, but uh, they can do whatever they want, of course. We go to Steve from Cambridge who says, Amazing show. They have really found the balance the past few weeks of having action-packed shows that don't feel overrushed. Hangman felt like a huge deal this week. Pushing Cole as a face... Pushing Cole's face was a nice, great, great touch. Love having Samoa Joe in the company. This is where he'll get the respect he deserves. How does an episode of Dynamite make WrestleMania Sunday pale in comparison? That main event was incredible. I mean, the Sunday show would not be what I would be uh, comparing it to. Um, Now, Saturday, Saturday had an excellent WrestleMania um, that everyone enjoyed. Yes, this would have been a better show than the WrestleMania Sunday show. Without a doubt, uh, sorry, this comes from Patrick. Without a doubt, Dynamite is still the best weekly wrestling show from top to bottom. Cole and Christian set the bar high with a great first-time-ever opening match plus a heated post-match segment with a fired-up hangman announcing the death match. Sheen and Julia was good and showed a lot of good signs for Julia Hart, who stood her own with one of the best AEW has to offer. I love the short segment with Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter setting those two up as big deals on their own while also building towards a potential clash in the Owen tournament. FDR Bucks, too, somehow lived up to the expectations and had a phenomenal finish. FDR becoming incredibly engaging babyfaces. And Dax Harwood should absolutely be contender for Wrestler of the Year alongside Paige. Great show. Aside from the Rough Hardys Butcher Blade match, excited for the rest of the Owen qualifying matches. Curious who everyone thinks could be the favorite for the winners. Well, I mean, we don't know who's in it, so it's kind of the the whole roster is, uh, in theory, up for potential spots on this. We got a Kate from Montreal who's joining me on Friday on Rwanda SmackDown. She says, AEW has a tendency to bookend their shows really well, and tonight's show was an excellent example of that. Cage versus Cole exceeded my expectations, which were already fairly high, and it's remarkable seeing how much Christian still has to offer. He does some wonderful, subtle stuff, like trying to free his foot from the ropes as opposed to just hanging in the tree of woe, and I hope the younger guys are taking notes. I don't know what I can say about the main event, but FTR now have two of the best matches of the year in less than a week. They might be the hottest tag team in the world at the moment. Do you think that a Jade Cargill turn is imminent? The back section is purely a babyface move, being all about confidence and body positivity, and the way she's increasing, getting imp- increasingly getting impatient with Mark Sterling seems to be hinting at it. Honestly, at this point, it feels like a lot of work to keep her as a heel, but the women's division does need some. 
I think you go with the crowd with Jade. I think that it's not something that you have to be, um, you know, in, in a rush to do. But, you know, you follow the crowd. And if, if the audience starts to get behind her, then then go with it. But I, to, to me, it wouldn't be something that I'm like actively uh, pushing her towards. But naturally, I think we're going to get there with, with Jade Cargill and the audience. Just it, it, this kind of a push, it's going to lend this crowd to getting behind her more and more for her matches and just destroying people. And it'll require a different type of match style for Jade Cargill to learn how to do beyond, you know, like the however many second squash match that she's been able to perform pretty pretty well up until this point. Um, it's it's a completely different skill set, you know, and, and you have to also imagine it's going to be a bit more awkward for her because she's going to be put up against many much smaller opponents if she is a baby face. Can can she pull it off? You know, can can the talent in the division be able to surround her to help her pull that off? I'm not exactly sure. And and to me, like the, the introduction of this baddie section is um is interesting. Like, I don't know if it's something that she necessarily started off on her own on social media that they decided to just kind of make note of on TV. But it does feel a little incongruent with her current story. Um, but I, I, I you could be right, Kate, in that they might be setting up a babyface turn. And the last word of the night goes to Jay from Colorado. I like Sammy Guevara. I like Ty Conti. I like them as a couple. I don't like them as an on-screen couple. I just see no reason for it. And I've never liked it as a device in the past for other wrestlers and their real-life partners. They're even, sell- they're even selling a shirt of the two on Pro Wrestling Tees. Uh, on a- and a shout-out to Isaiah Cassidy, who was double-fisting drinks on his way down to the ring tonight. He kept making a face whenever he sipped out of the drink in his left hand and quickly followed up with a sip of whatever he was holding in his right hand. Dude is either a great actor or he was legit drinking cranberry vodka and 7-Up. That's some attention to detail that Jay was uh, paying attention to tonight. But there you go from Isaiah Cassidy. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight for Rewind at Dynamite. Thursday, I will be back live right here on the channel, 1 p.m. Eastern time with uh, Garrett Gonzalez. We will go through all of the latest news and uh, what is coming up this weekend. And then Thursday night for postwrestlingcafe.com members waiting joined by wh park you're chatting episode two of moon Knight. that is correct yes mm-hmm. all right and then friday we've got rewind to smackdown with way and kate happening here 1105 p.m eastern time after the uh the loaded edition of rampage will it make a uh, storming comeback we shall see all right that is it for us go check out postwrestling.com subscribe to the channel and we'll speak with you on thursday